Super Bowl 57 final betting market breakdown of the season with you here, Suma. Last week at this time when we connected the point spread for the game, Eagles minus one, one and a half. We're seeing the same thing right now. But with the total, we have seen some movement from 49 and a half or 50 this time last week up to 50 and a half or 51. So from your standpoint, how has your point of view on this specific matchup, Chiefs-Eagles, evolved over the past week? I think from a matchup point of view, the more I dig into this, the more I like the Eagles, I would say. But the more I dig into it, I'm also more afraid of Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes stuff. Because I think that's probably the only caveat that the Chiefs have in this game. But uh, it might very well be enough to, to get another Lombardi trophy in his, uh, into his uh, six-year career. Six-year career, I guess. Yeah, I think it's his, if I recall correctly, his fifth year as a starter, and they've hosted yes. the AFC title game all five years, and then there's one year sitting and, and learning from Alex Smith. So, yeah, it's been an uncanny run for Kansas City. One of the key factors we touched on for the Chiefs last week that I wanted to circle back on with you here would be the injury situation. There was a trio of wide receivers that went down in the AFC title game, and then defensively, Legereus Sneed and Willie Gay, some key pieces who we also had some questions about this time last week seems like aside from Michael Hardman, everybody's going to be suiting up for Kansas city. If I'm reading the same reports that you are and interpreting the information correctly, but at the same time, it's not as simple as in or out of the lineup. There is a bit of nuance when it comes to somebody playing versus somebody playing at full strength. So Sumo, when it comes to that Kansas city injury situation, what's your updated outlook is we're now just days away from the super bowl kicking off. Yes, uh, Michael Hartman is already sent to IR. He will not play. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, I have him in. And Kadarius Tony. it sounded optimistic, but like every medical expert said that he might play, but he will not, 100, he will not be 100%. So that, um, I, th I think it was an ankle sprain that's usually tough to be at 100% um, after two weeks. Um, they had a, I think, a, a light walkthrough today or something, and uh, Andy Reid said um, that both Tony and uh, Smith Schuster looked good. But I would guess that Smith Schuster is much closer to 100% than um, Kadarius Tony is. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, I don't think that they will talk about it. Uh, we have to assume that um, a high ankle sprain can probably not heal properly within three weeks, but he will probably just find to play, is, is my assumption, with the small chance of uncertainty that once he gets a big hit or he has to do some missteps, that could re-aggravate a little bit, is my best assumption there. Um, <clears throat> and they activated uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I don't think that's really an addition to this offense because CH is, um, has not been highly efficient and Isaiah Pacheco has been much more efficient as a, as a runner. And CH also doesn't offer a lot in the um, receiving game. And on the other side, Legereus Need will also play. I think he's already cleared from the concussion protocol. So it looks better on the Chiefs front, uh, which would not make me very surprised if we saw a, a little bit more of Chiefs, Chiefs money. But also the fact that Snead had a concussion and it would have been two weeks out, that was probably priced in for the most part already. Drew Smith-Schuster was also priced in, in my opinion. And then it was basically about Hartman and uh, Tony um, 
in general. So overall, um, might not be will not be surprised if we saw a little bit of Chiefs money, but I also think that the number right now at minus one, minus and a half is is, is a very good number in my opinion. So do you think that we are pretty much locked in at that point spread of Eagles minus one to one and a half? Or if we weave in one more edition this season of Fabian's forecast, where do you think we see the point spread close as well as the closing number for the total for Super Bowl 57? I think we are pretty much locked in on the spread so far. I mean, we never know once um, all the books raise it to the to the highest limit possible. There could um, always be some uh, bigger uh, guys uh, step in and um, move the market a little bit. So, um, but I think Eagles short fives should probably be the number that we enter um, close to game time with. And on the total side, we had a release um, from Right Angle Sports from Adam Schirmer yesterday on the over and the whole or most of the market was popping um, through the 51. But there was some buyback and not the entire market moved. And right now we are looking at a 50 and a half at Pinnacle, 50 and a half at what was it? Um, sorry, I, I don't know where I looked. But it's uh, 51 shade towards the under at Bet Chris and 50 and a half shade towards the over at Pinnacle. So there is a, let's say, some opposition of that right angle sports release towards the, towards the under. Um, personally, if both quarterbacks are fine, I would probably rather lean towards the over, but that's just me. But apparently there is someone in the market who likes the Super Bowl under at 51. And just to close the loop on those 50 and a halfs, I'm looking now, I'm seeing 50 and a half shaded to the over in the range of minus 115 at FanDuel and Bet Rivers. So if there are any U.S. listeners who still want something on the over, getting in under that key number of 51, those are two options to explore. And Suma, I know that a point spread of one, one and a half doesn't seem sexy. It's generally not thought of as a key number. But I wonder in this specific matchup, between the new overtime rules in the playoffs. We haven't seen it go into effect yet, but if this game were to go into overtime and one team scored a touchdown first and the second team answered with a touchdown, I got to think one suddenly becomes a very live number because that second team no longer would be eliminated by allowing a touchdown on the opening drive. They get their chance to answer. And if you're down by one, instead of kicking the extra point and giving the ball back to the opposition in a sudden death environment, you're probably better off just going for two. So make it or miss it. That situation would almost guarantee a one-point outcome in the Super Bowl. And I know that while that's on the table and it hasn't been before, it's pretty unlikely that we go to overtime and both teams score touchdowns right away. And then we see a two-point conversion. That would require threading the needle a bit. So while it's possible, it's also possible that in regulation, if we have a close game late, especially with a guy like Nick Sirianni, the Eagles might play for the win instead of playing for a tie, even if it's late in regulation. So with this specific matchup, do you give any more weight to one being slightly more of a key number than it typically would be in a regular season matchup between two average teams? I think it's, it's so hard to, to, to factor and price that in um, when, it, when we are talking about the, about the same, about, about the exact situation that you were talking about, like, we need this game to go to overtime. We need two touchdowns immediately by both teams. Uh, and it probably has to be the Chiefs that score first because Andy Reid will not 
or will probably not go for two there if, if he's the, the uh, second team to answer. So we need overtime, the Chiefs to score a touchdown first, and then we need the Eagles to score the second touchdown and then Nick Sirianni, Nick Sirianni to decide that he wants to go for it. I think that's still a situation that is very, very unlikely. So um, I'm probably struggling to put too much weight uh, into that um, spread of one there. Fair enough. Well, pivoting off of the Super Bowl a bit, something I think you can put some weight into and the audience can take with plenty of weight as well. Weaving in a question that I've been asking guests throughout the Super Bowl Shuffle interview series this past couple of weeks. Suma, as we look back on the season as a whole, it's been such a blast doing this with you every week. Looking back at the start of the season to today, what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned from a betting standpoint? Um, so... After the season ends, I will do a lot of uh, digging and um, going through the season, um, calculate some, some metrics for my betting process and see what went wrong, what went well, where can I improve, etc., etc. Also, um, replaying specific betting situations from like week five. Hey, we wanted to bet the cheese there, um, didn't pull the trigger, why, why was that, etc. Um, but I think in my immediate takeaway is that I struggled a bit with the new scoring environment early in the season. So um, we we could we could have assumed that the scoring environment would go down a little bit because it, it was very high the years before. There should have been some regression and defenses playing better, defenses making it harder on the opposing offense with all these two high shells, etc. And I think once we saw all these low totals, it, I had a difficult time really, let's, let's call it, I thought that if I go too heavy down with totals, I, I would probably over adjust. But it turned out that you could not over adjust enough probably because um, A, defenses were playing a lot better this year. Uh, DCs were doing a lot more funky stuff at the line of scrimmage and defenses um, went a lot more conservative like uh, playing these two high shells and uh, sending more simulated pressures instead of blitzes basically leaning back and um, um, trying to force the opposing quarterback into holding the ball and, and making mistakes down the road then we also had a lot of quarterback injuries I would guess and we had some some really shitty quarterback play from a few guys like Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan. That's something that I could have never anticipated. Um, and so in general, I would say my immediate takeaway is that sometimes when something drastically changes, maybe you got to dig deeper and decide whether you want to maybe over adjust to not uh, get left behind or you got to decide um, just how much you want to regress stuff in general. Yeah, you touched on the scoring environment being something that was pretty tough to anticipate, and I appreciate all the context there. One thing that I think this audience has come to learn how to properly anticipate when it comes to our conversations is anytime we can weave in the hops, you've got some good insight to lend. So let's do that one more time as well. And with the Super Bowl, I really think of the saying that I've tried to embrace in recent years, there's a time and place for every beer. 
And Super Bowl Sunday can really be a time for crowd pleasers. And I think we'll see a lot of people drinking and watching commercials for beers like Budweiser and Bud Light here in the U.S. and probably across much of the world. And Suma, I understand that you're familiar with some of the differences between Budweiser and Bud Light across different parts of the globe. So why don't you break it down? Maybe a bit of a, a Budweiser Bud Light power rankings, if you will, if we talk Czech Budweiser, British Budweiser and American Bud Light. Yes, yeah, so these are the three Budweisers that I know that that I have um, tasted already. So over here in Germany, you usually only get the Czech Budweiser, and then the more you get west, like the UK or um, the United States, you will get exposed to more like this um, American slash British Budweiser, uh, which is a lot more mild. And then in the US, I also had a few Bud Lights. And I have a very strong power rating of Budweiser's and it's uh, the, the Czech Budweiser at the top, not close. Then in second place, there's the British uh, Budweiser, which is a lot more mild. And then at the bottom with like miles of a difference, it, it's Bud Light. So to be completely honest, I don't wanna insult anyone on this podcast but once i got my first bud light i really wondered how people could possibly drink this or maybe people did not have any good beer before that because <laughs> i i don't want to say it uh, like how it did taste but um it, it was i did not have the impression that it was it, that it would be real beer I love it. I appreciate the restraint there, but I think I'm receiving the message loud and clear. I think some of it, uh, again, going to the notion, we'll see plenty of commercials for it on Sunday. The power of marketing, maybe it's the relatively affordable <laughs> price point. I totally understand that as well. But I do envy your upbringing in a, a German culture where you probably can develop a much more refined palate much earlier on in life than a lot of people once they're of age to drink, but don't yet probably have a lot of money and in America. That's just what people know. And my wife loves the saying, when you know better, you do better. Well, if you don't know any different and that's just what's always available, that's probably what people turn to. But hopefully over time, uh, while not, not misjudging or, or putting down anybody for liking any sort of beer, maybe we can also over time introduce people to, you know, better things that can be accessible from time to time. So uh, glad to hear that while your first impression of American Bud Light was uh, displeasing to say the least, it sounds like there are other options that, uh, you know, a Czech Budweiser, it might be a pretty big eye opener for somebody who's used to what the American offerings typically present. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in the, I've been twice to the US and I had so many great beers and i just i just could not imagine that bud light is like the number one marketing campaign um on, on nfl sundays when you watch all these all these um commercials so i just had the impression that um that's not a beer not 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 a real beer and and i i, I don't know why people keep hammering this yeah, well, I, I will probably be hammering a can or two of a beer called Timbo Pills. It's branded as a West Coast Pilsner by a brewery called Highland Park out here in Los Angeles. And what they do is it's basically got the body of a Pilsner. It's really crisp and crushable, but they add mosaic and citra hops. So you get some of that 
citrusy, tropical, fruity flavor without the heavy body of a hazy IPA or even a more full-bodied IPA. So the ABV range is somewhere between what you typically find in a Pilsner and an IPA. And the flavor is just so spot on without really weighing you down. So I feel like that's a great alternative for Super Sunday. It's not the most expensive craft beer. It's definitely admittedly more expensive than the Bud Lights of the world. But my own personal preference, I would rather have two or three cans of that over a six pack of, of most of the macro lagers in the U.S. pretty much any day. That sounds very good, and I would like to have one. <laughs> yeah, well, come to Bet Dash in August. I know I've mentioned that over the course of the season. I'll see if we can lure you out here for that. Um, I think I've also mentioned in a previous appearance you had on the show, my best friend and I have a pact that if by the age of 40 we haven't yet experienced Oktoberfest, that we're going to make that happen together. So um, the clock's ticking on me to get out to your neck of the woods as well before too much time goes by. And uh, yeah, we can definitely keep something like that in mind. And if it is something in Germany, um, rather than looking at, you know, ounces of beer or milliliters in the U.S., just thinking of uh, just chugging some straight up crushable liters together in, in the right setting would just be surreal. Absolutely, man. <laughs> All right. Well, Suma, I want to thank you for the insight you've brought to the table all season long, week in and week out. And if the audience has found any value in it, they're probably already following you on Twitter. But to those who aren't, check out at Suma810, that's S-U-U-M-A-810. You can also find me there at mlandis18. And Suma, one more time, I want to sincerely thank you, especially for staying on throughout the playoffs to finish what we started here this season with Between the Lines. It's really been a dream come true to connect with you each and every week throughout the season. And I just want you to know, for the record, the insight, professionalism, and passion that you've brought to the table, both for the betting and the beer, has definitely not been taken for granted. Matt, I think that my wife has never said something that nice to me, so I <laughs> sincerely appreciate it, and I, I'm a little bit overwhelmed right now. I, I can only give it back. I, I truly enjoy talking to you, uh, football, throughout the entirety of the season, and um, I guess it will not be the, the last time today. Yeah, absolutely. We have plenty to look forward to in the future as well, but the Super Bowl kind of ends one chapter and then we'll be on to another. But this has been an absolute blast. Hopefully for the audience, you've been enjoying it anywhere near as much as we have as well. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of Props and Hops. The Super Bowl Shuffle Series will continue tomorrow. So I will see you once again then with another interview as we get one day closer to Super Bowl 57. Props and hops.